The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 365, coming to you on Wednesday. April 22nd, the day before the 2020 NFL Draft. We're going to talk about the draft, USC taking back the West in recruiting, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com. Slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com and our phone number is 213-373-1USC Second What's Burn Show. From the Reign of Troy Radio Studios in Los Angeles, the Rod Studios in Los Angeles, I'm your co-host Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. I said that a little funnily, but it got out there. Uh we're recording this. Uh on draft week, this is the week in which we can finally stop talking about the draft. The week that it happens. Well, really next week, I guess. I mean, uh, a little bit next week, because we're still going to talk about what happened after the draft next week. I know. I'm just, I'm so tired Well, the problem of, is- of NFL people dictating the 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 tone about how these college players are talked about drives me insane but it's it's more so now too because we lost all of the spring sports so the only right. sport thing that's really been going on it, like 
has been the draft, aside from the Jordan documentary and a and you know the occasional ESPN showing a replay of an old game or whatever. The the football world has had their eyes on the draft as the only sort of content creator. So of course that's kind of we've gotten draft overload a little bit here. Yeah, one hundred percent. We've had to listen to things like. Uh, Justin Herbert against yeah. Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, and people trying to make the case that Justin Herbert is a better is 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 warranting of a higher draft pick than Tua Tagovailoa, which is absolutely asinine. Any college football like, fan could tell you that's insanity. Utterly insane. No, 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 no. I mean, it's, and, it's Burrow and Tua, and then a massive gulf to everybody else. Yeah, and I'm biased because I've never been on board the Justin Herbert train. Like I. I have always said that Justin Herbert is a poor man's, um, a poor man's uh, Sam Darnold. So like, I'm not I'm not his biggest fan to begin with. But like to hear people tie themselves in knots to try and give an explanation for why Justin Herbert deserves like a top five draft pick is is just it's almost as nauseating as hearing people trying to convince themselves that Justin Love is is worthy of a. Of, of a high draft pick as well. So, I don't know. This is the, the worst thing about being a college football fan during draft season is hearing NFL people try to erase the history of, of uh, these prospects. But, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. I get that, and I get that quarterbacks have such value. The thing that just drives me up a wall is, you know, the how much NFL people have, like, this obsession with finding the next somebody else, right? It, they got to find the next Patrick Mahomes. Well, then it's got to be Jordan Love. Like, you don't know that. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And, you know, all the stuff about Justin Herbert is just trying to find some sort of value in him. It's like, didn't they do that with Mitch Trubisky? And yes. Like, a- like where, now, mind you, Herbert had a way better college career than, than Trubisky, but I think we've seen enough of Herbert to say that He's good, not great. There's like I, I don't understand people wanting to draft him in the first round at all. I, I I don't get it. Yeah, I'm same boat. I mean, just but but again, I have been wrong about prospects from USC and from outside of USC. I have been right about prospects from USC and from outside of USC. So I think everyone is like equal parts wrong and right on these things. Sure. It's just your perspective coming in from right now. Maybe Justin Herbert becomes one of the next great NFL quarterbacks. I just certainly would not bang on it. Well, I thought the same thing about Goff. I thought Goff was was good, not great. And then he's ended up being good, not great for the Rams, but probably better than I expected he would be. So I don't know. Anyways, that's that's our NFL talk before we get into actually talking about USC's prospects in the draft, which we'll get to in our next segment. Uh, Alicia, let's let's talk about stuff going down on Patreon. A lot of stuff going your way, including Quartime. Time. Let's take it inside our quarantine podcast where both of us are sitting in here in the studio, quarantining it up and talking about off-topic things. In, in the first episode, we talked about the viral Netflix sensation Tiger King and in episode two, we talked about our favorite board games. Episode three, looks like we're going back to chemistry. I think we're talking Breaking Bad. Yeah, I, I am currently in the in the first season of a first through watch. I have finally Bad. gotten you to, to, to dig in. You have been trying to get, you watched Breaking Bad late as well. And when you watched Breaking Bad, you were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And 
you were like, you have to watch this. And I was sitting there going like, I don't really like shows with like antiheroes. And like, that's what my impression of Breaking Bad was. It's just like bad people being bad and all of that. So I was resistant and it sounded like it was heavy and I just I, I can't do heavy things at this point. So I resisted for a long, long time. The quarantine has sort of forced my hand here and you finally got me to watch the first episode of Breaking Bad and it was all of one minute, I think. That opening sequence is 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 a minute, maybe two, and I was in. Like you see him in those tidy whities and all of a sudden That's all it did for you, huh? Boom. Yeah. All you needed? That's all I needed. So yeah, we're we're gonna have more discussion of tidy whities and Walter White and Breaking Bad in the next core time once we finish the first season of Breaking Bad. Well, once I finish the first season of Breaking Bad. But that, that'll be really, really exciting to talk about. So, yeah. Yeah. Bonus episodes over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. You get all of our bonus episodes for as little as five fifty five a month. For 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel. But it's not just off-topic things over there on Patreon. So much more, including a bunch of draft stuff uh, on the way. At least and tell people about that. Yeah, so for every day of the draft, that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday on the Patreon, we're going to have sort of draft reaction. Um, so on, on Thursday, if or maybe not, we'll talk about more of that later, uh, Austin Jackson and, and Michael Pittman go in the first round or one or the other, whatever it works out to be. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss if they didn't go in the first round, what to expect from day two. After day two, we'll know more about what's going on. And then day three will be all about what what's uh, happening because we expect Michael Pittman to, to go by then. Then it's really the, well, what's going on with the rest of USC's draft eligible players who I we will talk about later in this episode, too, are a little bit harder to pin down. So full draft coverage, full coverage of where those guys, where everybody ends up, whether it's drafts or draftees or uh, undrafted free agents, all of that will be over on Patreon this week. So if you're looking for some draft stuff uh, related to USC, then that's that's the place to go. Yep. Patreon.com slash of Troy is where you can get all those bonus episodes if you don't want bonus episodes, but you just hate ads, you can also sign up for three thirty-three a month to help support the show and eliminate ads on the main show, uh, which is coming at you twice a week right now. This week, the, we have the full episode here today on Wednesday, and then we'll have a mailbag later in the week as well. Send us your thoughts, uh, your emails, your questions at Rain of Troy at fanside.com is the email address and the phone number 213-373-1872. Well, let's start this thing proper, shall we? And uh, get to the news. All right, Alicia. News has started to turn in USC's favor on the recruiting front. Dare I say the Trojans are at the forefront of potentially bringing in the number one recruit in the nation? That would certainly seem to be what's, uh, what is brewing. Uh, not not what's brewing, but what is brewing at I, USC. I feel like forefront is a better pun. For, forefront? Yeah. Oh, well, uh... Core, core, something uh, making a Corey Foreman reference that is very okay. witty well, and clever. Trying and... way too hard at this point. The yeah. point is Corey <laughs> Foreman, the number one player in the twenty-one uh, class 
the, the core of USC's recruiting class okay. is about to get okay. hotter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Potentially. A five-star defensive end out of Corona Centennial, six foot four, two hundred sixty-five pounds. Again, the number one recruit in the nation. He has decommitted from Clemson, high school teammate of a certain guy named Drake Jackson. Suddenly, the Trojans are seemingly uh, on the forefront for him. Crystal Balls now have USC at 45% over at 24-7 Sports. Why did he decommit from the Tigers? According to TigerNet, they quoted Foreman as citing Clemson's official visit policy, and the Athletic says he wants to be closer to home. Both those things really look good for USC right now. Yeah, so apparently Dabo Swinney has a policy at Clemson where if you are a commit, you cannot go on any official visits to any other school. Um, It's a little bit like the Peterson up at at UW has a similar policy. And, you know, if you're a a, a recruit, that doesn't necessarily jive with you. The guys feel that these five official visits that they get to take – are kind of like their reward for going through the recruiting process. And I think not being able to take those visits is something that rubs some some guys the wrong way. So Corey Foreman is one of those guys. He wanted to take official visits, and Clemson wasn't going to let him. So he's like, okay, peace out. On the other side of that, too, because that had been sort of brewing for a while that he was uncomfortable with that, but apparently this sort of newer developments have to do with he wants to play on the West. He wants to stay closer to home. And that is why I think that the commitment that came out on Tuesday, the decommitment that came out on Tuesday, it wasn't just a Corey Foreman wants to look around. It was he's decommitting from Clemson and USC is the front runner now. And that's what we heard from a, a lot of different areas. Um, Steve Whitfong pointed out for 24-7 Sports that the crystal ball uh, predictions over there have swung towards USC. I think USC now has 45 percent for Corey Foreman. Um there were uh, some other uh, um, Adam Gorney at Rivals was talking about how he expects USC and Oregon to be the ones to to beat to get Corey Foreman. So it's definitely a huge, huge uh, development as far as the recruiting cycle goes, but one that kind of puts the world back on its head the way it's supposed to be. Because when he committed to Clemson in January, it was one of those signs that, man, this is just another sign. This is a guy like Justin Flo that USC should have been had in the bag, and they didn't, and he was committing to, to Clemson. So it was a major blow to USC. This kind of just puts that side right um, as, as in the pursuit of, of Corey Foreman. Yeah, but you mentioned Justin Flo, and if Oregon's going to be in this, we we know that there's any team that can recruit uh, Southern California right now and, and get the number one guy, uh, it's Oregon. They came into Southern California uh, – Two classes ago and took Kayvon Thibodeau. They came in this past class and took Justin Flo. Could they do it a third time and take Corey Foreman? Uh, You would think third time's a charm for USC in this situation. Obviously, the the Thibodeau thing looked from the USC perspective as they picked Drake Jackson over Thibodeau, and that's why they didn't pursue him as hard. But Justin Flo is a straight-up loss in the head-to-head battle there, recruiting-wise, with the Ducks. Do you feel like SC has a legitimate, you know, obviously if, if people are saying that they're, they're one of the leaders here, that would that gives USC some legitimacy here. But if you're looking at this strictly in terms of, you know, projecting it forward, does Oregon still have the advantage based strictly on, you know, 
the 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 hype and and the and the momentum that they've built up in that last class? I mean, maybe, but USC has built up a lot of momentum over the last month. And this is a different recruiting staff that we're talking about compared to the one that lost out on on Justin Flo last year. So I think it's a different equation. And last year, you know, Dante Williams was recruiting for Oregon. Um, last year, USC didn't have Vic Soto, who, you know, we liked Chad Kahaha as a person, but Vic Soto has the personability that Chad Kahaha brings to the table, but also a track record at Virginia that is pretty respected uh, on a, to a degree that that Chad K didn't sort of have that that cachet. USC also has more <laughs> recruiting staff around that's that's working on getting these guys. And I think the big thing is what we're seeing from this particular recruiting staff, recruiting class is I think there are more guys in there who are actively recruiting. Um, Brandon Campbell, who is the running back who committed to USC back in March, four-star running back out of Texas, as soon as Corey Foreman decommitted, he was up on Twitter saying, well, I got work to do. And we're seeing this from from a lot of guys like Anthony Beavers is pretty active and he's a, a new USC commit. Guys that are being a little bit more ground floor active. And, and this is one thing that I think has been an issue for USC over the last couple of years is it hasn't felt like the classes have been particularly tight. And I remember I like I, I distinctly remember 2010, 2010, when USC loses Pete Carroll and, and Lane Kiffin comes in and all that kind of stuff. Lane Kiffin gets a lot of a lot of um, credit for the recruiting class that USC was able to bring in that year. But a lot of that had to do with like Robert Woods and those guys rallying as individuals. Right. So if the players themselves, if the recruits themselves are rallying, that's part of what USC is, is improving as far as its recruiting apparatus too. So I think it's the, the, the Oregon machine and the USC machine that faced off last year is, this is not the same kind of battle. This is not the same um, footholds that both of those sides have as far as, approaching this battle yeah and you this you, you look at it this has been one of those things that's been constant for all the best usc classes you look at back at 2004 2005 you had the the uh the buyers and the riverses going over to the army game and rallying troops right and going to recruit guys and i think it helps a little bit when it's when you start that movement that the whole take back the West thing and we've seen USC have success uh in the past three, four weeks. They rise to now number five in the team recruiting rankings according to twenty four seven sports. Still long way to go. Things still have to go USC's way to kinda finish that off there. But I think if you're gonna if you're gonna make this big statement that you're gonna take back the West, you have to actually do it. You have to back it up. And I think going after guys like uh, Zamarion Gordon, Anthony Beavers, uh, Maximus Gibbs, Kalen Bullock, uh, two of those guys, Gibbs and Bullock, uh, they just got this week. Um, those those four guys, all local kids. That's what you have to do to take back the West. You start by getting brick by brick inside your recruiting area, right? And so you do that, kids that that are going to these recruiting camps, at least before, back when they were open, before the uh, the stay-at-home order and all that, kids that know each other. Those guys are going to recruit together, and that's only going to help when you have guys like Corey Foreman still out there on the board. Yeah, and, and on Corey Foreman, too, you're right, you don't have the camps and stuff like that that you can use to stay connected with those guys, but in this instance, you have Drake Jackson, who is a former teammate of Corey Foreman. You have uh, Gary Bryant, 
Jr., who was also a Centennial guy. So you have some links to USC where guys have his phone number. Guys know how to contact him. You have like WhatsApp groups or whatever it is that they're using these days. You can you can communicate as recruits between each other and build up those relationships that will ultimately help you, you know, secure someone down the line as far as getting their their comfort level to be able to to commit. So I think all signs are pointing to, to really good things for USC. The only big hiccup here is whether or not a season goes forward and whether or not that season is good because you can have Corey Foreman really enthusiastic and thinking, yeah, I could commit to USC. Yeah, I could do this. And all these guys are are looking at going, yeah, you know, this new staff is going to rock it and everything's going to be great. And then theoretically you get to September, October, November and USC falls flat on their face. Clay Helton gets fired and suddenly all the recruiting stuff that you did in April doesn't really matter. So you do have to follow through here. Here's a hypothetical question. If there's no season, does that help or hurt USC? I think it I think it helps USC in the sense that it doesn't hurt USC. Like sure. it doesn't the way USC's recruiting class at this stage gets hurt is if they perform very poorly and it results in a coaching change. Right. If there's more instability in store. Yes. So not having a season means delaying that instability. So by the by the mere fact that you can't be hurt by the results of a season. It's the net positive. Sure. Yeah, you're not going to get the gains as a, a team that would be potentially winning the conference or going to a Rose Bowl, that kind of thing, right? Uh, or in this case, But I you guess, get the off-season enthusiasm of everyone is undefeated in the right. off-season. Yeah, yeah. And you, 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 can play, you can play that angle and, and the feel-good angle for sure. Um, but speaking of whether or not there will be a season. Let's start talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and what it means for college football. The latest was uh, some interesting stuff that came out on Tuesday. Uh, Cal State Fullerton canceled in-person classes for the fall. This was something that we had talked about in last week's episode. Uh, we had heard that presidents uh, and and uh, athletic directors and, and conference commissioners basically insinuating uh, this comes back from Bowlesby, the, the Big 12 commissioner, insinuating that the idea that college football needs students on campus to exist, right? At, at least this fall. Well, if Cal State Fullerton's not going to have students there, what does that mean for everybody else? Because these colleges tend to be a little monkey see, monkey do, right? If, if one sets a precedent, everyone else seems seemingly will follow suit. Ryan Karchi of the LA Times tweeted, USC is expected to make a decision on second summer semester by the end of the month. If campus is not open, there will be no football, no word on when USC will decide the fall semester, but its summer semester goes through mid-August, which would move football prep back until at least then. In other news, Boise State furloughed all of its workers, making more than $40,000, including all of the football staff per the Idaho Statesman. It's a 10-day furlough. Uh, again, these are things that not necessarily pertain to USC immediately, but things that could at some point that, uh, all, all these universities are going to end up doing things, I would think along similar lines. Yeah. And that's, we're just sort of trying to read tea leaves at this point. I mean, not the furlough thing, cause that's, that's a public the, school versus a private school. Right. Thing. But the furlough thing is something to think about because the furlough thing will have, an impact on college football in a wider sense, right? So USC is going to probably go along with whatever the wider football community does one way or another, at least local football community, if nothing else. 
And so USC might be in a private private school situation, but it is dealing with public schools. Its main rival is a pub- public school. Its secondary California rival is a public school. So those things are going to weigh heavily on how the season progresses. So if, if Boise State is in a financial state where they need to save $10 million by furloughing employees and they have to take the hit for to recruiting for this, the what's likely to be apparently a 10-day furlough, a furlough means you can't work. So those coaches can't recruit during that time span. Now, it's a short span, but you don't know if another furlough is coming down the line. You don't know how these things are going to work out from a, a budgetary perspective. Also, if Boise State's doing it, then other institutions are probably going to look at potentially having to do it as well. And we don't know, obviously, the financial situation between Boise State and UCLA is going to be very different, but UCLA is a is a public in, public university, and they are going to be dealing with some pretty hefty financial ramifications to this. USC is going to be dealing with financial ramifications too. It's just different sort of uh, structures because of public versus private. But if Boise State is a G five school and they're having this issue, what happens if you know half of the Mountain West can't play football this year because they can't afford to keep their football programs going? Um, you know, what happens to, to USC's schedule if New Mexico can't play? Um, there's a lot of, or, or they UC have... UC Davis might be open. <laughs> yeah, maybe UC Davis. But the, that's what, that's where the furlough thing is interesting. Not that Boise State is furloughing their employees, but that Boise State is having to take this measure. And this could get broader as, as we go forward, which is why I bring up, you know, the Cal State thing too. The Cal State Fullerton thing is, like you said, if one does it, you're going to see a little bit of dominoes. And if Cal State Fullerton is ready to declare, we're only doing online classes this fall, and they're declaring that in mid-April, then what are t- what are schools going to do in June when they're making these these you know decisions? And, and Ryan uh, Karchet t- points out that USC isn't going to make their decisions until later on, but these decisions are going to have to get made. And already we've seen the precedent now that Cal State Fullerton has set for, now we're just going to go to online classes. Well, if they do it, UCLA could do it too. Absolutely UCLA could do it. Absolutely Cal could do it. Absolutely UC Davis could do it. And a lot of other schools, ASU, could do it. So, I mean, you and I talked about, did we talk about it on a on a podcast or, or just in person where we were talking about, like, if you're, if, if there's one university out there that's set up to have this infrastructure, like ASU online learning is already sort of part of their deal. So, it wouldn't be surprising if if these institutions did that. Hey, they're they're number one in in innovation. Harvard of the yeah, desert. Yeah. Well, and and so then you have to go to the fact of the Pac-12. No one's going to step out of line in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is going to play together, or they're not going to play together. Let's say ASU or UCLA or whoever it is goes to online only classes across the board. And I know Larry Scott echoed what uh, Bowlesby, the the Big Twelve commissioner, said that if there is no classes on campus, there is no football. They're not going to force the players to be on campus to play football if the rest of the student body isn't there. So if those institutions decide to not play football, it kind of won't matter what's going on with USC's decisions about playing online courses, right. about doing online courses or not in the fall. The, the What the rest of the conference ultimately does right. is going to dictate that. Yeah, you, you, can, you can be Liberty if you want, but it doesn't mean that every other school is going to be so. Well, you need the rest of your schedule to be available. Like right. USC could say, yeah, we're good to play football and then look around and 
maybe they have to play an SEC schedule because no one else in the Pac-12 is 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 open. You know, it, it, oh that's not how it's going to work. No, the the whole point of this, the the whole point of COVID nineteen is to get out of the Alabama game, Alicia. <laughs> get away from it. Jeez. Yeah, that's that'll be the one uh, one plus one positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's get into some draft talk, shall we? Alrighty, Alicia, USC uh, going into the draft with the most draft picks ever, the most first rounders ever, but suddenly that all seems to be in doubt. Well, the first rounders thing is is definitely in doubt. USC is tied with Ohio State. At 81. The Ohio State, by the way. The Ohio State University. And Ohio State is going to have at least two. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda and Chase Young are pretty much, like, short of an act of God going to be first-round draft picks. So that's USC is probably going to lose that status this year unless an act of God happens and USC gets Austin Jackson and Michael Pittman both into the first round. But uh, the Austin Jackson thing... And the Michael Pittman thing, I think they're very, these are very interesting discussions that we need to have about whether or not these guys are going to be first-rounders or second-rounders or what. Yeah, let's talk about it. Start with Austin Jackson, projected to go in the first or second round. Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network says he'll go higher than anticipated. Dane Brugler of The Athletic ranks him 25th on his big board, 6th among uh, offensive tackles. And there's Peter King, who in his final mock draft put Austin Jackson 26th overall in the first round to the Miami Dolphins. All that would certainly help USC try to keep that record uh, away from the Buckeyes in totality. Yeah, so if Austin Jackson goes first round, you're probably going to be behind them, but you're only going to be one behind them in, you know, another few drafts you can easily reclaim it. Um, The the, the thing about Austin Jackson, though, and, and this is since he declared, he's been sort of discussed as a potential first round pick. But he's facing a similar issue that Michael Pittman is in that there are a lot of offensive tackles that a lot of people like in this draft. And the real question is, you know, how many offensive tackles will go? Dane Brugler has him as the sixth best best offensive tackle. And there is discussion of there being six offensive tackles taken off the board in the first round. But if there's only four or five, then you're probably not going to see Austin Jackson unless a team has fallen in love with him. And the big question is, is there a team that's going to fall in love with him? He is, by all accounts, 100% a developmental prospect. And not everyone agrees on whether or not you should risk a developmental prospect at offensive tackle in, in a draft where you didn't really get to evaluate them as clearly as you normally would uh, because of all the, the, the coronavirus um, the shutdown situation. Yeah, I think it's John Ledger of uh, PewterReport.com who pretty much says the opposite and he would not take someone like Austin Jackson, a developmental guy in the first round. Yeah, so I wanted to read uh, the, the, the evaluation that he gave of Austin Jackson because I think it's really interesting to consider the disagreement that there is about someone like Austin Jackson and also maybe reflect a little bit on what did USC do or not do with Austin Jackson during his three years there to get him to a point where there is so much question around around what it is that he's doing. So John Ledyard said this, Here's the problem with the hype around Jackson. We aren't learning from our mistakes as evaluators. That goes for NFL teams and draft analysts alike. Why are we still putting guys with his flaws in the first two rounds of our boards? We've seen what happens with offensive tackles who get worked by top competition in college and can't even physically hang with the defensive line 
talent in their conference. Jackson got tossed around in the run game way too often and was consistently worked by speed, bend, rush moves, and inside counters in college. I understand he's a good athlete with the length and size teams want at the position, but there is simply not enough there on tape to warrant the top 15 to 20 consideration he's getting. Not even close. You can't get dunked on by Bradley and I, AJ Epinesa, and Julian Aquara, the only three t- three quality edge defenders you face all season, and be a top tackle on my board. I see too much Cedric Obu- Obuei when I watch Jackson, and I don't like it. Yeah, I, I mean, fair enough, right? I mean, too many times we saw USC as a, as a collective offensive line struggle against every good defensive line that they played. Uh, when was the last time USC's offensive line outperformed your expectations? Stanford, Stanford 27? 2017. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely, right? yeah. And and that's the thing is, is I went out of this season, you know, rewatching every game. I came away saying, by far, easily, the best offensive line on USC's line is Elijah Vera Tucker. And it, it really wasn't close. Like, Austin Jackson was not in the discussion for me about who was USC's best offensive lineman this last year. And, you know, I think you have to wonder when you consider these things, when you consider that someone like Austin Jackson, across the board, everyone agrees, athlete, huge athlete with the 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 size that you want at the position, everything you could hope for on paper, but his technique is terrible. That's all the evaluations I read of him is his technique is terrible. He needs a lot of work, a lot of coaching. Well, is that not an indictment of the coaching and work that he's gotten at the college level, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I. It worries me that this is the evaluation on USC's top tier offensive lineman who could be a, a first round draft pick. That this is the evaluation that you get when we're looking ahead to what is the key to USC being successful at the college level going forward. It's the offensive linemen need to be better than they've been. Well, can you bank on them being better than they've been if a guy like Austin Jackson is so far away from meeting? his potential coming out of college. Like this is a problem for USC that they need to fix ASAP. And that continues to be my, my main concern on the flip side. He's probably still going to be a first round draft pick. Even John Ledyard, who is not a fan of Austin Jackson in any way, shape or form as a player. Uh, he, in his mock draft, the, just, just earlier this week, uh, he has him going in the first round, 18th overall pick to the Dolphins. So, like, you know, I think he even agrees that NFL GMs are going to fall in love with a guy like Austin Jackson. But I would feel much more comfortable about USC's trajectory as a program if Austin Jackson was coming in and it was this guy's an uber athlete. This guy's great. He's a first round pick. And there isn't a ton of work you need to do with him immediately. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see if he's someone who can reach that top speed in the NFL and really thrive based on all the expectations we had for him coming out of high school, uh, certainly coming out of college, if he's someone who goes in the first round. Um, you know, I I want to compare him slightly. I mean, the whole time that he was, you know, a recruit, people compared him to Tyron Smith, right? Tyron Smith didn't have the dominant college career that people expected. Uh, and he was basically drafted as as the, the physical specimen of what he could sort of be. Um, but Tyron Smith was better in college than Austin Jackson, but Tyron Smith has reached a pinnacle in the pros that far outseated anything he did in college. Austin Jackson is going to have that opportunity. It's just going to be a matter of 
actually doing it. Yeah, I saw an evaluation that was, I think it might have been John Ledyard too, specifically who who said basically like he's got an all pro ceiling, and that's why someone's going to take him right. because there is that possibility. He's a fifty fifty guy though. You pick him in the first round, he's either going to be your left tackle for the next ten years or he's going to flame out, and that is like I think you and I have talked about USC. Uh, their their responsibility for those players only for these players only goes so far. Like once you make it into the draft, makes once you make it into the NFL, USC there's not much they can do for you. Except that I do think there's a situation where you want to see USC maximizing these guys a little bit more at the college level. And even Tyron Smith, it felt like he wasn't maximized at USC. Yeah, but it was a hell of a lot more stable of his the questions over whether or not he'd be good or or bad in the NFL was. More that we had more answers to those questions based on his based on his USC career than we have with Austin Jackson. Yeah, what can SC do to to get more out of uh, Austin Jackson? Not get fully destroyed by Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. Yes, and AJ Epinesa, right? Like, yeah, you can't get embarrassed by by those guys um, in, in those key moments. So, um, yeah, I, he doesn't have to become an All Pro. To that, that doesn't. Have to reflect on USC, but what he does at USC certainly does. Uh, Ryan Wilson of CBS, by the way, has Austin Jackson as a second rounder, number 46 to the Broncos. Let's talk about probably the most intriguing USC prospect in a long time, just because I feel like there's so much buzz around Michael Pittman in the most interesting way possible. Uh, he's been quoted as being the most valuable pick potentially in the draft strictly because he's so good. He might go in the third round, but he also might get picked early. He's got a second to third round projection, Bud Elliott, uh, muses that Pittman could sneak into the, into the first round there, but there's Jerry Judy from Alabama, Henry Ruggs from Alabama, CD Lamb from Oklahoma, Justin Jefferson from LSU, there's also guys like Clemson's T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk from ASU, Denzel Mims from Baylor, uh, Jalen Rieger from TCU, Pittman in that mix as well. Peter King has Pittman actually going in the first round, pick number 30 in his mock draft to the Green Bay Packers. Um, this is kind of everything all over the board because you get someone like Dane Brugler who puts him 50th on his big board, uh, and some of that value comes into play when you factor in there's so many great receivers that what makes Pittman valuable is he might be cheap in the third round and you might be getting the guy who could be a first rounder late, which sounds like a sucky situation for Michael Pittman to call him valuable like that. Well, and that's, and that's why he is so intriguing because he could go, he could drop that far through no fault of his own, just because there are, like, you mentioned uh, Dane Brugler, 50th in his big board, but ninth among receivers. Like, in any other draft class, he's a top, he's a top five receiver, but you you get in into the rankings of wide receivers in this class, and he's top 10, with the sort of, the the first four pretty much all set, and then everyone else after that is a, you know, throw darts to the board, and maybe you'll get which order they get put in. But that's why it's really hard to tell where Michael Pittman's going to go. There's chatter uh, in mock drafts pointing to the Green Bay Packers going for Michael Pittman. There's chatter that the Colts would be a perfect fit for Michael Pittman. But as a first rounder, as a second rounder, it's it's extremely unclear 
to a degree, like, I don't know that I've ever had a player looking at, at a USC player who wasn't a day three prospect. Like, we often talk about how, you know, will Port Augustine go anywhere from the, the fourth round to the seventh round or will it be undrafted, whatever it is, those wide, wide spans of potential for, for players to go. But when we're talking about the first two days of the draft, we have a very good idea usually about what the what the the span is, right? Like, you know, Juju could sneak up into the first round, but he's probably going to be a second rounder, and that's that. Um, you know, maybe maybe you see Nelson Aguilar up in the up in the first half of the second of the first round, but maybe he'll drop back into the early second round. All of those kinds of things are a little bit more secure. Even Austin Jackson, we know he's second half of the first round or one of the first picks of the second round, and there really aren't that many other projections out there for him. Michael Pittman legitimately could go anywhere from like 20 something to 50. I mean, the 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 odds makers, I found some odds makers who have his over under for his draft position at 58. 58. Like that's that, that's that's low for what Michael Pittman could potentially be. So, it's very very hard to get a get a handle on. See, and this is where the, the there's a difference between Austin Jackson and Michael Pittman. With Austin Jackson, it's hard to get a handle on who's going to take the chance. Everyone acknowledges the positives and the negatives, but you don't know who's going to take the chance. With Michael Pittman, every single evaluation of him is he's great. He's he's cool. He's I mean, he's a cool customer. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. He attacks the ball. No real red flags. Um, nothing to worry about. He's a, he's he's about a sure thing as far as you know what you're getting. He's a special teams guy. You don't have to worry about his character. You don't have to worry about his play on the field, all that kind of stuff. You don't even have to worry about his speed because he ran a good 40 at the combine. So like any questions that are out there about Michael Pittman have nothing to do with Michael Pittman. It's all about do you like Rieger more? Do you like um, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Ayuk more. Like I've seen mock, mock drafts where Brandon Ayuk goes to the to the Packers late in the first round. Like by the way, I I like Brandon Ayuk. Give me Michael Pittman I, over him I, every day of the week and twice on Sundays. I like. Is I don't think it's a homer pick to say that Pittman like you take Pittman over Ayuk, right? Like, am, am I crazy to say that? Like, I I, I agree. You take Jerry Judy. Rugs, Lamb, Jefferson, uh, all those guys bef- before Michael Pittman. I, I get that, but I, I I'm not gonna put Ayuk in that category. No, and I like Ayuk as, a, as but a, as especially a because last year Nikhil Harry, you looked at him and went like, yeah, dude's a dude's a baller, no yeah. question. Ayuk, I never looked at him and thought like that's a he first never, rounder. He never overly stood out to me. No. But, you know, who who knows? These things are these things are weird. All I know is that the I mean Bruce Feldman wrote a thing about how like he's going to make a team very uh, Michael Pittman is going to make a team very happy regardless of where he gets taken because he's just such like I said there's no there's no negatives on him. You know what it is? I think Pittman is the poor man's juju. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, USC fans I've seen make that comparison, that he is the he, next Juju. He, I mean, he plays such a similar game, even if it's the, you know, he's definitely not as fast as Juju, but Juju's not a burner either, right? But very physical, a, a more physical, slower version of, of, of Juju, but someone who absolutely can get that much production, you know, uh, or, or anything. I mean, the, the quote that Peter King had from, from a coach said, quote, He's so reliable, he might get lost in this crop of receivers, 
this good, but he shouldn't. He'll be a good receiver in the league for a long time. Yeah, I like I I'm fully on board with that. I, I think that Michael Pittman. I I, I don't want to put the bad <laughs> the bad juju on him because oh not not juju in that sense, but I I thought for sure that Ronald Jones was going to be very good in the NFL. I'm pretty confident that Michael Pittman is going to be at least good. I'm I'm not saying he's going to be all pro or anything. He just he's, I would bang. He's going to be reliable, right? I would, like like I th- I think these are the right things you want to hear about Pittman. The floor it, it, aren't, aren't these the things that you wish you heard about the offensive line? The 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 gritty, hardworking does every little thing right. That's what you want to hear about the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where there's no, again, where there's no question marks, right? Right. Yeah. But uh but with with Pittman, is his floor like I would argue his floor is Robert Woods. Is that unfair? Yeah. Like I'm not comparing the two, but like Robert Woods being a starting productive receiver in the NFL. Not an all-pro, not a pro bowler. But like I think Robert Woods is his um his career has gone weird in the NFL because, I mean, he's a prototype of why fit matters. If he would have started his career getting drafted by a Rams team that yeah. was that was coached by Boy Wonder himself, like, wouldn't things have gone completely different? He's he's a perennial Pro Bowler, right? Like, probably. That I don't know. Uh, but But he's in that discussion, right? Like, he's someone who would be, you know talked about way more than he actually is i feel like he went to buffalo and got just like completely lost in the shuffle and he was fine he was he's he's been fine as, as, as an nfl guy but he hasn't really been someone who lit the world on fire until he started playing for the rams yeah but like i don't like i guess what i'm saying is i don't but, know but that even he as has, even he with the rams he's not he he's hasn't not really lit the yeah. world on fire but that's sure. what i'm saying like the floor for michael pittman is that he doesn't light the world on fire. Sure. That he's just really productive and, and decent. Right. And pers- he's your guy who's going to catch sixty five passes a year and be your your solid number three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a as a as a as a worst, I would say, is my is my perspective on him. So like that, like if I'm an if I'm an, if I'm an NFL team, I jump on board that. I jump on board right. that immediately. Whereas like someone like Ceedee Lamb probably has way lower of a of a of a floor but a higher ceiling yeah yeah but you know I, I as with all things with michael pittman especially i really just hope like you mentioned fit because i've seen like if he goes to green bay that's awesome if he goes to the colts i'm feeling okay about that if he goes to the steelers which i have seen that would be legit that would be very fun um but like you don't want to see him go somewhere where he's just like i always Dread seeing it, and not that he's going to go to the Browns, but like I dread seeing players go to the Browns and the Redskins. The Browns and, need receivers. No, they definitely don't. That's why I said he's not going to go there. But like you know, there are teams that you just don't want him to go to, and sure. I don't want him to go to the Jaguars. I, I read something. I know all these things are. Everyone has an idea of where the best fit could be, uh, but I I had read that the the Forty ers because there's someone who they're they're a team that relies on on receivers who can block and the same can be said about the you know Baltimore both the uh the Ravens and the Colts so yeah yeah uh, other guys who discuss let's talk about uh Christian Rector and Drew Richmond uh and John Houston 
I'm just going to throw them all into one simple discussion because they're all in the same boat. They're all projected to be undrafted free agents. Rector, according to Walter Football, ranks as the 23rd defensive end in the class. CBS has him as the 32nd edge guy. CBS has Drew Richmond as the 46th offensive lineman. And uh, CBS puts John Houston as the 46th linebacker. Uh, I think it's safe to say, but I don't see any one of those guys getting drafted. Maybe Rector, potentially. Uh, I think Rector has the highest ceiling of all those guys, but everything we said about Austin Jackson is what you can say about Christian Rector, minus all the physical specimen kind of stuff, right? Because Christian Rector was someone who, you know, he, he wowed you with his big moments. Austin Jackson wowed you with his measurables. But then Rector, just like Austin Jackson, would have games where you just wouldn't see anything out of him for for long stretches. Well, Christian Rector just simply didn't do enough as a as a yeah. senior, and that's it's really unfortunate because I was doing some research and I was I saw a an article talking about I think it was from Athlon or something like that where they were talking about how like the players from the Pac-12 who could be first round draft picks and Christian Rector was in there and he's nowhere near that. And I, I think I kind of want to put Christian Rector's status in comparison to sort of, I've done a lot of draft research over the years, looking at players, where could they get drafted, you know, what's their range or whatever. And I'm always surprised every once in a while by guys who don't ultimately get drafted, who end up falling to to be undrafted. Um, Chris Brown, uh, Toa Lobendon, uh, guys like Port Augustine, like, at least there was discussion of them as potential draft picks in the lead up to the draft. There is not a single mention of any one of these three guys anywhere in any mock drafts, in any discussion of, you know, could be a sixth rounder, could be a fifth rounder, could be a, you know, day three kind of guy. There's there's nothing like that for any of them. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, this is probably a product of the the coronavirus situation where they didn't get a pro day. They didn't get a combine invite, but they also didn't get a pro day. Right. And so they never really got to work out in front of teams. And like, Well, if you're someone like Christian Rector, who is relying on the good moments of your film, which there are plenty of good moments, by the way. There, Christian, I think, Christian Rector's career is so interesting because he's got so many big moments. The pick against ASU last year, the, the strip uh, against Sam Ellinger, uh, at the Coliseum in the, in the Texas overtime win, like the 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 game where he had you know a bunch of sacks, the the Utah game in 2018 where he had three and a half tackles for loss in the first half and still missed like three tackles in the backfield in the first half. Despite all that, he's someone who really could have used a pro day to say, hey, yeah, I have, I, I'm not just a highlight machine, I'm not just a guy who had a struggling senior season partly due to injury. I'm also someone who is faster than you think. I'm also someone who is stronger than you think or, or whatnot. Because, yeah, that, that stuff could have mattered um, in a league that values, values that stuff well, guys, as much as the NFL does. NFL guys fall in love with dudes over their times and all of the other kind of things all the time. And not having that could be a big barrier to any of these guys who might have convinced somebody that they were worth a pick. I do want to point out, though, and again, this goes back to, like, <laughs> and I don't know even what I'm saying when I say these things. Like, I don't know what my larger point is, except that, like, 
this is concerning. But like, I am so tired of the senior season ends and then dudes come into the draft process and offensive linemen like Chuma Doga, or in this case, Drew Richmond, all of a sudden like, oh man, I lost a lot of weight. I got really fit. My core got strong. I got bigger, stronger, faster, all those kinds of things. And it's like, dude, why weren't you doing that when you were at like, why is this just happening now? Like, why, why did it take graduating and then getting your draft prep going for, for you to really do those things that we're going to try and convince scouts to to look at you as a as an NFL prospect? Because Drew Richmond was talking about it in the LA Times, um, where they were talking about Christian Rector and Drew Richmond not having the advantage over pro day. And he was like, man, I was I was like bummed because I have lost weight and I've gotten stronger and blah, blah, blah. Why is why is there something about USC that's not having that happen there and then? Like I, I, I right. don't I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much because I think this is probably happening at every school around the country. But it is frustrating as all hell when you read that kind of thing and you go like, okay, dude. Like I, I think part of it though is don't you focus on something like that? Like your ta- your tape is only going to show you what it shows you, right? Um, and so if you're someone like Rector or Richmond who needs uh, a leg up. You're going to put all of your emphasis into building out your your physical uh, side of things. And even if that's just temporary, right? Like, I I don't necessarily think that that that's long-term. I think that that's to impress someone for pro day, right? Like, am I looking at it too cynically? Like, I agree with you. Like, the, the, the strength and conditioning staff should be getting the most out of the players. But I think they should be getting the most out of the players for for football reasons, not necessarily to just knock the socks off of a fifty year old Raider scout. You know what I mean? Well, then, then that, and I'm not going to go out here and defend the scouting process at these things because it it does seem ridiculous to me. Some of the evaluating that they do and some of the drills that they do and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I'm not going to, you know make my case for that i'm just i'm just saying i don't know i always hear these stories and it's like like i i i find myself wishing that like in the crunch time when wins and losses are on the on the like is is that not what you should be doing as well i don't know i i i fully agree with you by the way i'm my last counterpoint to this by the way i think it's easier when you're not in class all the time like i just think it's easier said than done you, you you finish your season, senior season, then you can go and pay a trainer yourself, and you can go see this trainer who's working on you every single day one on one. It's a whole different uh, thing than than being in college. You you don't have to go to biology class anymore. You don't have to get one guy's attention uh, in a, a smaller in a different ratio. You know, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, okay, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm no, I, I I'm in the same. I'm, I'm in the same boat where it's like I don't know, I don't, I don't know that anyone knows how to like process the draft process or right. what it reflects one way or another. I, I think it's just all a jumble that we're just trying to interpret, and a lot of that interpretation comes from what you ate for breakfast that morning, <laughs> whatever it is. Like yeah. you know, it's got to be Wheaties because Wheaties is the breakfast of champions, right? Do you like Wheaties? I don't. Really? No. Not a fan. Oh. I'm a big fan of Wheaties. I, I liked Wheaties. Um, I, I, okay. I have a last thing before we end here. 
uh, a serial discussion. I, I just got in this discussion a couple weeks ago with my mom. I was never allowed to eat sugary cereals as a kid. Um, because like those are unhealthy and blah blah blah, which is always weird to me because the argument I made with my mom is like, I never had restrictions on literally anything else, and the funny thing is, like she'd be like, no, you you can't have cocoa puffs because sugar is the number one ingredient on the box. But then we'd buy Rice Krispies and we'd put two big spoons of sugar ourselves in the Rice Krispies. Does that defeat the purpose? I mean, I did the exact same thing. Which is the best way to eat Rice Krispies. It's the best way to eat Rice Krispies with sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. Same thing with Wheaties. Same thing with Corn Flakes. Yeah. Same thing with uh, Chex. My mom did prefer to buy like, like. I don't know if it was the sort of like more bland. I what maybe I want to put it. My mom, it wasn't sugary cereals so much as colorful. Like if there was color involved, then they were probably not getting bought. Um, so like Frosted Flakes. Like I don't know that Frosted Flakes are or or Honey Nut Cheerios. Wait, Frosted Flakes were a thing that you had or not? Yeah, we would always have like Frosted Flakes or Honey Nut Cheerios. Like. Okay. The like they're not not sugary, but sure. they're not colorful. No, I I'd have frosted flakes yeah. all the time. I I think what it was, yeah, I I think it was the artificialness and the gimmickness. If things start, if things sounded gimmicky, my mom was not on board. Like there was gonna be no cocoa puffs, no tricks, because they probably just didn't make that back in the forties. Speaking of tricks, is like my favorite of all of the cereals. It's good, but I mean, it's not Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, but Cinnamon Toast Crunch, okay, this is like... But like, I could get Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and that has a crap load of sugar. Yeah, yeah. But again, but, it, but, it but it's looked, not colorful. But, it, but it looks like a cereal. And it's not... I mean? col- exactly. It's the color. It's the co- I'm telling you, Michael, it's I, it's the color. I my mom on and just to like... Just ask her like, if that's like the psychology of it. Like, where did this come from? Because I told her, I'm like, but then you and I would both stand there and put big heaps of sugar in the freaking cereal. That I wasn't allowed to eat because it was the only one I was allowed to eat because it didn't have sugar. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I... All right. This is where we've gone. <laughs> uh, there will be more off-topic stuff over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. But more on-topic stuff there as well. Later in this week, talking about the NFL draft every single day. Uh, along with our core time. Let's take an inside episode on Breaking Bad. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Send us your mailbag questions right now. Reign of Troy at fanside.com. We know there's a question on your mind about USC football or anything else. We know it. There, open up your browser. I'll wait. Okay, type in Reign of Troy at fanside.com. Email us. Yep, start right in the email. There you go. And then send us your emails, and we'll uh, add that to the mailbag later this week. Or you can call us 213-373-1872. Uh, Lisa, you got a final word, even though I know that uh, you've revealed recently you hate talking about final words. The final word gives me anxiety because I feel like I'm put on the spot and I never prepare for it ahead of time. But, um, but it's a bit that the people enjoy. Do do they? The bit it's, it's a bit that the people wait for. Oh, okay. My final word is... Um, do, do people realize that we cut this thing every time and that... Every, every well, single not, week. There's, not my cu- final word is, and there's like 45 minutes of pause. It's like... 45 minutes? Seconds, whatever. <laughs> my final word is ketchup. 
Because there's ketchup in front of me or whatever. Yes, exactly. Well, my final word is going to be cereal, as in we should all just eat a bunch of cereal of our choosing. I'm down. I am down Charlie Brown. The best part of being an adult is being able to go into the cereal aisle and pick what you want without having to feel judged by your mother. Also, being able to eat a second bowl of cereal. Oh, yes. Never could do that as a kid. Yep. But now I think it's weird not to have seconds. I can't remember the last time I had a bowl of cereal that I didn't have seconds, so... Yeah. Like, well, what am I supposed to do with the milk? I've got to add more cereal to it, right? I mean... Yes. Exactly. All right, we'll see you later. See ya. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.